welcome to episode 69 of Be Boomer Unleashed, The Evolution of Music, Part 6, an interview with Mike Tussie. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Be Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's interview with Mike, let me tell you, as always, where you can find our podcast. You can always find us at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed. You can find us on iHeartRadio at b.boomerunleashed. You can find our link on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram at Be Boomer Unleashed, and on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleash One. And as always, we remind you to drop us an email at beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Drop us your comments, your questions, uh, give us suggestions for future episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Be Boomer Unleashed, tell us what you'd like to talk about, and we might just be able to arrange that for you. Well, last week, we had the privilege of interviewing local radio legend and West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame member, Jack Comer who my boomer friends remember as Jack O'Shea. This week, we're pleased to interview another West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Famer, Mike Tussie. You boomers may remember Mike as Mike Todd. Let's go to that recorded interview now. We have another very special guest with us today on Be Boomer Unleashed. Uh, It's not often you get to introduce and interview a Hall of Famer, but we've had two this week. You know, last week we talked with Jack Comer, alias Jack O'Shea, who's in the West Virginia Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Well, this week we've got another Hall of Famer. He's already in one Hall of Fame, getting ready to go into another one here soon, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later too. But uh, we're just privileged today to have with us Mike Tussie. Welcome to Be Boomer Unleashed, Mike. Thank you, Jerry. It's always a pleasure to be here, buddy. Well, listen, uh, you know, uh, you and Jack are kind of from the same era and uh, uh, longtime friends and acquaintances, uh, both of you in the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into the radio business, uh, how you you ended up where you were. Well, the funny thing about that is kind of a legendary story. I, uh, when I got out of college, I went to work at a bank. We were in Ashland, Kentucky at the Second National, and and I was about 22, 23 at the time, and and uh, we, we didn't make a lot of money, as you know, back in 1960. You just, uh, I mean, I was making about 60 bucks a week, and I had, I had our, we had our first son coming along, and and uh, I needed to work part time someplace, but you couldn't do that. Uh, the bank had a strict uh, uh, policy that you couldn't moonlight. And right. I don't know whether it made them look bad or what, but you just couldn't do it. So meanwhile. I never thought much about it, and then a friend of mine, who turned out to be a colleague later, the legendary Hal Murphy, uh, came in, and he worked at WIRO over in Ironton, and uh, he waited on me every time, or I waited on him, rather, and, and we talked about radio and such as that, and uh, and uh, one day he said, Mike, you know, you got a great personality and all, and he said, why don't you come work for us at the radio station? I said, Hal, what would I do? And he said, I'll just work weekends, play the records, and work Sunday mornings and uh, introduce the preachers and things like that. Well, I took speech and uh, about two or three years in college and all that, but I'd never been on the air. And uh, I did have a friend of mine who was a professor at college, and a guy named John Sowers, and he worked at WCMI in Ashland. And I went over there to see him 
uh, at the studios back in 1950, I think it was 58, I think it was, and uh, watched him. And I was in amazed, uh, amazement because of, of how, how smooth he was and a great voice he had. And uh, so I, I thought at the time I'll never be able to do anything like that. Well, to make a long story short, uh, I, went, I, I took the job uh, from WIRO with Hal Murphy leading the way. And uh, so I never thought about it till the first day I got over there. And here's a, here's a good part that the listeners will enjoy. My first day I was there, uh, you always have a you, – you, I went on a Saturday afternoon uh, from 10 to 2. And uh, the guy who was working there, the man who was working there, was a 19-year-old young man named Don Adams. Well, Don Adams um, was was uh, uh, working at, working the board, and he was going to tell me how to do it, what to do, and that kind of thing. And he showed me the, everything in about 10 minutes. Well, uh, Don said, if you need anything, he said, go on. Uh, I'll be out on the parking lot. I'm going to hit some golf balls, believe it or not. <laughs> so he left me in, in the control room. And I knew how to cue up a record, and I knew how to read the log, and I knew how to read the weather. But over in the log, and most broadcasters will tell you, it'll say you have a commercial. And in 1961, April, in fact, right now, 59 years ago, right about now, is when all this happened. So 59 years ago, right, right here in mid-April, uh, I was jumping into the waters of radio. And... And uh, so in those days, we didn't have anything recorded. Very few didn't have an Ampex in there or anything. And it said it said there was a team commercial, which is a lemon-lime drink back in the uh, 60s. Right. And it said, it said team, T-E-E-M. And it said origin, E-T. I didn't know what E-T. I took Latin <laughs> in high school. I, I knew E-T meant and, but I didn't know what it meant here. And I couldn't find that, and I was freaking out because... The record was ending, and I had—I thought I had to play it in that quarter hour. Well, I got another record on. I ran back up to the parking lot, and I got Don, and Don came back and told me. He said, here it is right here, and he picked out an LP, an LP record, like 33 and a third records, what it was. And he said, this is it. I said, well, what that E.T. mean? He said, that's an electrical transcription. <laughs> 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 wow. I had no idea what the hell was until that day. So I put it on, and he said, play, it says on there, uh, C4, which meant cut four, side one. So I put it on, and I learned that that day. Well, Don uh, turned out, ironically enough here now, 59 years later from that day, that Saturday afternoon in April in 1961, uh, Don went on. And he went, he went on to work at WCMI and WSAZ in Huntington right, and then over in Bristol. But later on, he became, today, he is a national public radio uh, icon. Uh, for 30-some years, uh, Don Adams, who's now known as Noah Don Adams, right. uh, had a, an award-winning show on NPR called All Things Considered. Absolutely. So he, he has made it there. And, and ironically, 59 years later, he and I both share the Howard Halls of the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Now, how, how, how ironic is that on that wow. one Saturday afternoon? That's something the two he... Hall of Famers will be together in one day in, in early April. Wow, so, that's uh, awesome. Anyhow, uh, we got, I, I, didn't, I didn't use my name that day very much. And uh, so uh, the next time I, I learned, the next weekend I came on my own. And uh, this is me home all by myself. I got a solo. And... Uh, uh, the guy that worked the morning show that day was a guy named Scott Sims, 
and he was from Columbus up there, WCOL, and he had moved to Ironton. And uh, and uh, he said, Mike, what do you what name do you use on the radio? This is about quarter to ten when I went on at ten o'clock, and uh, and I said. I haven't even thought of it. I guess I use Mike Tussie. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, he said my real name is Scott Sands, but I use Johnny Dollar. <laughs> and I said, okay. And he said, we've got to get you a name. So we picked up, you know, uh, Mike Jackson, Mike Brown. He said, Scott, he said, use a one syllable because it's easy to remember if you can. So after about five minutes, we come up with the name Mike Todd. He said, I like it. Here it is. You're Mike Todd. It's one syllable, easy to remember. So that's how Todd was born. Now, I knew that I wasn't supposed to have a second job. Right. So I wanted to change my name because the bank would never find out. They'd probably never find out. That only held true for about two years. So in 1963, I left Ironton at WIRO to go to WCMI in Ashland. Right. And it was a great time to be in radio back in 63 because uh, the great hits were coming out in the 60s. Radio was king. We all used our imagination and creativity then, and we talked to the people. So what happened was uh, we had color radio. A lot of people don't remember this, but uh, sitting in the Ventura Hotel window there on Winchester Avenue in Ashland right. in 1963 on a Sunday afternoon. And the people from outside, you know, driving up and down Winchester Avenue could see you there. It was a great thing because people could see, actually, the DJ. Right, I remember. Because usually you're hidden in a closet or somewhere nobody can see you. Right. So, there, and, and what we did, we had lights around the window. We played a ballad, you know, and then the blue lights came on. We played an up-tempo uh, for the Beach Boys or something. You know, all the red and yellow lights came on. So, uh, I'm sitting there one afternoon, and luck would have it. Uh, on Winchester 13th and Winchester there by the Ventura, the traffic backed up all the way back to parallel with that window I was in. Oh. And guess who was sitting there in that car? <laughs> my boss's wife. Oh, my the goodness. Bank. Oh, my goodness. And she looked at me, and she said, my. And I said, oh, and she punched her husband, Mr. Dixon. He saw it, and I knew I was cooked. <laughs> so the so Monday morning, I went into the bank and uh, <clears throat> went into the bank, and uh, Mr. Dixon came to see me about 8.30. He said, come over and see me when you get, get set up. And I said, what's this about? And he said, I think you know. So I went over there, and he told me, Mike, you know this is strictly against bank policy to hold a second job. What do you do? I told him, I'm just playing the hits and playing the records. I'm working on weekends. And he said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, they offered you a permanent job. I said, no. And he said, well, terminate it right now, today. And I didn't want to do that, but I had to do it. So I, I, I did that, and uh, the manager down there didn't like it at that time. And and uh, so uh, he told me, if you ever want a job, you're good. He said, let me know. And I said, uh, so meanwhile, I was out of radio for a while, and Hal Murphy came back in from WIRO, and he found out about it. And uh, he told me, I told him about it. And he said, he said why don't you come over and work the morning shows with me, Todd? He said, I like what you do, how you talk. We'll be, I think we'll make a great team. Well, Hal had in his mind, and I didn't know it at the time, but he wanted me to work the morning shows with him, and uh, which is legendary at that time in, in 1964. So he was working with Johnny Dollar at that time. And uh, so I came, well, I left the bank in 64 to go work 10 to 2 middays. And John didn't like getting up in the middle of the morning and all that. You had to get up about 4.30 or 5, be there at 6 and sign on. He didn't like that. So he let go of it, and they moved me down to work with, with Hal. 
that was the beginning of a legendary, uh, historic uh, marriage of talent because Hal was a, a Boston actor. Right. And he had that <clears throat> had innate ability to uh, just come up with jokes and wisecracks off the top of his head. And uh, much like Don Riddle, uh, the, you know, Don used to do. Right. Rickles. And, and uh, so uh, we come in, and our morning show was called The Coffee Ground Show. Right. And uh, the, the other show in the afternoon, that was from um, 3 to 6, was The Town Clown Show. Now, here's the, uh, the part that a lot of people don't remember about how it was and how we did this. Hal was in, in the hotel, beginning in the Ventura Hotel where I was in 63. And uh, they gave up the window, WCMI did. Hal took it over. So that went on for a while. And he moved down to Blue Ribbon Lanes, right there at the end of the bridge in Ashland. Right, right. Was producing the show in Ironton, about five miles away. We never saw each other, but it sounded on the air like we were elbow to elbow. <laughs> okay. Now people thought we were together, but we never were. That's so. So he would call me. We'd go on the air at seven, and he'd call me about quarter to seven. And he'd say, "Mike, I want to play this, play that, play this, and I'm going to do this, and we're going to do that." He'd, he'd, he'd alert me to what we were going to do. So when the seven oh five came on, I'd introduce him, you know, and. And, uh, and I said, good morning, everybody. It's time now for the Town Clown Show. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm across the river, and here's uh, Mrs. Murphy's little boy, Hal, and something like that, you know. We came on. We got us started. And, uh, and he, he, he and I just, I was, a, I was the, uh, uh, the McMahon to Johnny Carson. You were the straight Johnny guy. Johnny <laughs> Carson did. I, I, I was Ed McMahon to Hal Murphy. That's so right. I set him up and let him. I was a straight guy. But we had, so that went on for about several years, and. And, uh, and I say there, that's how Mike Todd was born, to answer your question. <laughs> right. That's great. Then you you moved over, uh, you moved again over um, in um, into country genre, didn't you? Yeah, that, that's strange how that happened. I, I was, we were, you know, when you get percolating in this business and you like what you do and, uh, and you get enthusiastic about it, you get creative. And Hal and I were peanut butter and jelly, really. Right. We got... In fact, we were, we were so close. He became my, my children's godparents. Right. That's how close Hal and I were. And uh, so uh, I got a chance to move to WTCR. Now, this is country music in 1967. So Hal and I had a marriage of about three and a half years there. It worked just fine, and, and we made a lot of history and that kind of thing. But uh, I went over there, and they offered me some more money than I was making, and but you got to understand, uh, WTCR went on the air back in 1954 in Ashland at AM 1420. Right. They were originally WWKO. Right. But then Connie B. Gay, uh, who founded the Country Music Hall of Fame, is a uh, is a Hall of Famer as well, and he's in the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame too. So Connie uh, bought WTCR. He owned seven stations. He was uh, he was stationed over in Silver Springs, Maryland, but he knew everybody uh, in in the business. And uh, if you remember Colonel Parker, who was Elvis's, uh, you know, proto- I mean, he was a main man for Elvis right, Presley. Right. Well, Colonel uh, Colonel Tom Parker and Connie B. Gay were buddy buddy buddies. They knew each other and respected each other very much. So so. So uh, I, I went to work uh, for WTCR, and Connie B. Gay was running the show. He wanted to change it, and I use this word, this terminology with, with, with all the respect in the world. At that time in 54, 
uh, it was so, sort of like Hayseed Country, something like Hee Haw. Right. Remember Hee Haw show on TV? Absolutely. Well, that, it was kind of like that, you know, the bib overalls and all that. Well, there was a new movement coming on in Nashville, and they were calling it the Nashville Sound. And uh, it was exciting. I mean, uh, yeah, there, there was violins and things in there. Uh, they didn't like it. The, the pundits didn't. But, but Patsy Klein and Jim Reeve used those things back back in the early 60s. Right. And uh, so this is a new sound coming and everything else. So so that's what he wanted to do. So he challenged me. They hired a young guy from KTOP at Topeka, Kansas. His name was Ken Stevens. We were both 29 at the time. We, we took over the realm the helm of uh, TCR, and uh, he charged us both with going after WKEE and WSAZ in Huntington. Those were our two main main obstacles that we had to make the dent. Now, and uh, so Ken and I talked about it, and he said, Todd, how are you going to do this? I said, I've got an idea, Ken. I'm going to take that radio station off the dial, and we're going to be everywhere. And we are going to be wherever uh, our people, our personalities are not going to be somebody, just a name. I want the public to see, respect, and find out who Ron Mastin is. Right. That was my midday guy from 10 to 2. Right. So I took the morning show. Ron went to 10 to 2. And I hired a guy by the name of Elliot Geringer, Greg Elliott, and he worked the midday. Then I hired uh, Ron uh, Lowe from WCMI to be news. Okay. So, and we had a couple of more here and there, but then, then Eddie Walters, who's also a Hall of Fame broadcaster and engineer, uh, we, we told him we needed a, a trailer. So we got a 40-foot trailer, and now in 1967, 8, and 9, we were cooking. That trailer was everywhere. So we broadcasted downtown from Widow's Discount in Huntington, West Virginia, up in Huntington, uh, 60 East. We went up there, sat there for a week. We did our shows from there. We moved someplace else. We were downtown by the Civic Center. We were everywhere. Okay, so uh, we were beginning to make a dent. And we passed out everything we could give but the kitchen sink to the people. And uh, so we started making, getting the numbers and, uh, and things like that. I come up with a show in the afternoon, in the morning show. I worked six to ten, and at seven oh five every morning. I did a, I did a spoof, a spoof of Peyton Place, which is big in the mid sixties. Right. And it was, it was a spoof of that, and and everybody on my staff. I wrote the script, I recorded it, produced it, and everybody, even every announcer had, even our secretaries and receptionists had a part. They played a role, <laughs> and it's a four minute show that's sponsored by Dan Cole Lumber up in Huntington. Right. And that thing just uh, people like Mr. Tusser, Mr. Todd. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going? What, what's going? I can't. I can't wait to hear what's going to be in the next episode. They call me, and they knew, I, you know, I just played it by ear. I was sitting at my kitchen table and writing it at home. So we did that, and a whole bunch. I had a barnstorming bowling team, believe it or not, called the Nashville Cats. Right. They went everywhere. <laughs> I went with them. And my, my DJs went with him. So we went everywhere. That's what we did. Well, in the meantime, we're cooking. So so now it's coming to 1968. And Mr. Gay told me that he wanted me to come to Nashville and be at every DJ convention there ever was and would be. So the first one he wanted me to come down to was the 1968 CMA Awards held at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. He told me, when you get down here, he said, you bring a black, a black tie, black tie affair. Why don't you wear a tuxedo and have it ready to go? And I said, okay, I'll do that. So I made, I made, I went down to Nashville, spent, I was going to spend the time down there for about a week. 
and uh, he he was the guy that was leading interference for me. Introduced me to everybody in the business on 16th Avenue South down in Nashville, Music right. Row. Right. So what happened was uh, I got in town and I called him, and he said, where are you at? And I said, I'm at the Holiday Inn North, sir. And he said, you come on and have breakfast with me in the morning. Did you bring your tuxedo? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, well, come on down. So I walked in the, into the uh, Andrew Jackson Hotel there in uh, Nashville, and I asked for Mr. Gay's table. And he said, right this way, sir. I went in there, and I could not believe what I saw, Jerry. I saw sitting there Tex Ritter, Jill Wills, and Jimmy Wakeley. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, all three were sitting there, and, and Gay introduced me. He said, this is my program director from WTCR, Mike Todd. I was in awe. I'll bet. We sat there. I sat next to Tex Ritter, and all I could do was think about the 1952 High Noon movie where he sang that in there. Wow. And we talked about the old cowboy movies with Jimmy Wakeley. Chill Wheels, a great friend of John Wayne. He told me all kinds of stories about Wayne. So I left there that day. I, I, was, I, was, just, I was just beside myself. So now he told me that I, I had front row seats. I was in the second row of the CMA Awards, which at that time was the Craft Music Hall. Right. And, uh, and uh, I was there, sat there, and watched the whole thing. And after that, then the fun came. Yeah. And the fun came because the after CMA Awards show parties off to sunrise the next day. Wow. The sunrise. <laughs> we, I went to every place. So over those years, I met people. I was a, I was a regular on Ralph Emery's show on WSM. Ralph knew me. I knew him. I was on there a lot. And uh, so I knew all, I did a lot of the stars. I, I had a backstage pass in the rhyme, and any time I wanted it, all the people knew me. And uh, and uh, so if I wasn't by myself, I was with Emory. So we had a good time. That's so great. on, and that's what happened there at TCR. You know, uh, Mike, you're talking about the, that Nashville sound, and, uh, you know, country music has made quite an evolution over the years, from the Tex Ritter days up, up through to now. And, uh, I mean, a, a massive transformation. I mean, it's more, a lot of times, like pop and and uh, really not not so much country. But uh, do you th- why do you think that happened? Do you think it just happened, or was it a concerted effort to appeal to a different demographic? Or what do you think, Mike? What really happened was, and it, it didn't take me long. Remember, when I was at WIRO, and I came to TCR, how I had to audition even to that, and I'll back up a couple of spots here. I, there was a guy named Steve Tweel and a guy, a guy named Don Tucker. They were running the TCR pro, the show. They were running the whole uh, operation there. But they were located downtown Ashland, and the studios were out around Route 60 East, right. uh, 60 West. All was out there was a studio. But the business office was downtown. I had to come in, and I had to do, he told me, he said, I want you to go in there, and you had to live awfully great. So he made me two 60-second commercials, and he handed me a newspaper, and I, and I had to ad-lib two 60s off of the Gibbs hardware spot. <laughs> I guess I did okay, so he hired me on the spot. And now I'm playing this music that I never heard of before. Right. I mean, I, I, was, I was playing all the hits of the 60s, you know, uh, easy listening and that kind of thing. And now all of a sudden... I'm, I'm, I'm hearing music from Baron Young, right? You know, or, or Warner Mac, right? And I thought, oh gosh! And so then, I, then I started listening to it, and Bill, Bill Anderson, and I figured out that country music was about three things: it's, it's, it, it's about women, trucks, and booze. 
but that's about the size of it. Yeah. What it is. Right. You know, and, and so, and, and, and I started listening to the stories. Every song had a story. Correct. And that thing that people, Jerry, they could relate to. You asked what, what, what made it, what pushed it, what was the lightning bolt that made it go. People, here to four, before the new Nashville, the format, remember, I changed the format. Right. I, I was doing a, a rock, a top, like a Jack O'Shea format. Right. With country music. That's what we were doing. Right. Okay? We, we were playing a hit just like, oh, no, just the same dynamics was there. And the only thing was, we were playing songs, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, like, like Tammy Winnett had in 67, Apartment Number 9. Right. Okay? And, and, and all these had stories. Well, people began to relate to that. It was the blue-collar people. Right. Now, yeah, they weren't 14, 15 years old, 16 in high school, but these were the older people. Right. These were the people who were married, divorced, or having an affair. Okay? Right. Or the guy that drove a semi. And Dave Dudley would come on and say, six days on the road. Man, we're going to make it home tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, so you could see there was a magnetism there, and we were playing it. We were 5,000 watts. We had the same power the key did. Right. See? So so we were we were banging. And take them. Remember the fact I'm everywhere. My guys are everywhere. So the war was on. Right. Okay, who's gonna? Who's? I mean, we were fighting. You know, you had you had, you had uh, Pete Stringer over WSAZ in the morning. Okay, and 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 he was trying to compete. Everybody had had a niche. Well, my niche was country music, and it was moving, boy. So we even had the top fifty thing we played all the time. We bought billboards. I, I had my D. You came off of the bridge in Huntington there, a great big billboard. You know, WTCR, AM 1420 Top Country. Right. It'd say Mike Todd, 6 to 10, up the street, maybe on Fifth Avenue, uh, uh, 10 to 2, Ron Mastin. You know, WTCR. We had our logo there. Up in West End, up around Wheels Discount, my, you know, Greg Elliott, 3 to 6. So we were pushing ourselves. I was pushing my DJs. They weren't some unknown voice in a box. Right. People got to see them. Now, so when did when did you began guys relating to them? So the music was was that, but the dynamic of the music was there. It just went. Right. So we did that. Now, when did you and, guys uh, put the when did you guys put the FM signal on the air? I left. Obviously, the FM signal was when I was in my last my last year there. Uh, close to 1970, when I left there, um, what happened was was there was a we we bought we bought the 103.3 I think it was at that time, and, and at that time I remember it was WHEZ Easy List they called it Elevator Music right absolutely is what it was and and uh, so they had that up there and I remember going into the, the doctor's offices in Ashland uh, they would be on. You know, it fit the uh, the atmosphere for a doctor's office, so that was okay. So they were up there. It was probably around right there at the turn of the decade, but that's what it started there, and then it changed again. And eventually, over the years, it went to uh, they played, they took the they made a fifty thousand watt country music, and AM fourteen twenty was uh, five thousand sitting off to the side playing. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, there wasn't everything was they didn't do, they didn't do a simulcast really. It was just a different different thing over in fourteen twenty, yeah. uh, and I was gone, and and uh, the new the new fourteen one hundred three point three FM was was born, and they they went on in the seventies and the eighties, uh, but changed. Right. You're saying what happened to you, Todd? What did you do in nineteen seventy? Why did you leave? I mean, I was king of the road there for a long time, and right. then all of a sudden, 
like in this business. Right. Uh, crazy business. Oh, yeah. And I got a call one morning <clears throat> from uh, WCAW in Charleston, West Virginia, a guy named uh, Miles, Paul Miles. Right. And he told me, he said, Todd, I've been listening to you for about a month. He said, how would you like to come to Charleston to be my PD up here, music director? I said, name of the game, Mr. Miles, is money. I said, I've got a wife and two kids. Right. And I don't know if she want to pull up her roots and come to Charleston. I'll make it worth your while. So I went up there. To make a long story short, I agreed to terms. He did, too. I came back and shot the numbers to Ken Stevens, our GM at TCR. He agreed to give me half now and half in six months of what, I, what the new right. deal was. So uh, the bottom line was, and as history records it today, uh, Stevens reneged on that, and uh, I got upset. He got upset, and I quit. There you go. Yeah, I've, I quit. I've, I've, I've quit. What did I do? What does Mike Todd do? I needed a job. I needed yeah. I needed something with a pension. Right. I needed something with hospitalization. There you go. So guess what I did? I joined the police department at Ashland, Kentucky. There you 30 go. years old. There you go. And today, I spent 27 years in law enforcement, uh, and I retired as an assistant chief at Northern Kentucky University there in 2003. But I never, from 1970... 70s, 80s, 90s, up to the up to the last, never ever quit radio. Right. I was always there, but not in a full time capacity. There you go. You know, Mike, uh, we're we're just about out of time for today's interview. But I tell you, there's another dimension of your life. Uh, maybe we can get together, oh, sometime down the road here and talk about the baseball part of your uh, career because we want to. We want. I think that would be interesting for our listeners too. Uh, but uh, we got just a couple minutes here left. Uh, you're getting ready to go into another Hall of Fame here um, in August, I understand. What, tell, tell us just a little bit about that while we've got a couple minutes left here. Thank you, Jerry. That, that, that came out of uh, out of the sky like a lightning bolt, too. I didn't know anything about it. I got a call from uh, uh, the committee chairman, Mark Maynard of the Daily Independent, who used to work there. He's retired now, but he called me one day and told me that I had been selected for induction into the uh, Ashland CP1. CP1 means Central Park 1. That's the uh, the big diamond down in the park. A uh, Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame. And, oh, my gosh, it's, it, 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 it's so prestigious, just like the West Virginia Broadcasting Hall of Fame is. And, and he told me why that uh, I was selected and all this kind of thing. And, and uh, he said, we want to have you here. Uh, come to Ashland. Uh, we'll celebrate on a August 22nd down at the ballpark. And then on Friday night, we'd like to have you and the other nine inductees come to the Ashland Tomcat uh, football game on August 21st, and you'll all be introduced on the field at halftime uh, prior to the induction ceremonies the next day on Saturday. So, yeah, I'm excited about it because it really just reflects all the good times that I did there. I was really blessed and lucky to win a lot of games and win the state championship, win two, in fact, and uh, I guess that's reflects back to the resume sometime when you look at it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, in, a, in a few weeks, we're going to probably start another series on uh, on sports through the decades, and I've got a lot of folks uh, lined up to talk about that. But uh, I'd like to get you back on the show at that time, maybe talk a little bit about – talk a little baseball and uh, a little bit of that. Is that okay with you? Yes, sir. I, I look forward to it, Jerry. And, and, again, thank you for what you do. And uh, your podcast uh, puts out a uh, you know uh, an audience out there that people just begging to hear from 
I think, from time to time. You've got a lot of good subjects, and you're meeting what you, I think, what you desire to do. So thank you for your time and, and inviting me on here. It's an indeed a pleasure and a privilege to be with you today. Thank you. Mike, thank you. God bless you. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed our interview with uh, Mike Todd and uh, this week, and I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with our friend Jack O'Shea. Wow, two great guys, two weeks in a row. We are blessed here on the Bee Boomer Unleashed program to have such A-list guests. Well, listen, we'll talk to you soon. Hope you tune in to listen to us for our next episode of Bee Boomer Unleashed. But until then... Have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.